goal is just to be able to provide food for anybody in the community that is needing it. First thing would be looking at how do we decrease the stigma that is attached to needing to come to the food cupboard. I think people want to be self-sufficient and want to be able to provide for their family. You can't function if your basic need of food isn't being met. This is Michelle Lamb from Leaning In and Speaking Out, a podcast hosted by Brandon University's CARES Research Centre. This podcast is part of a special series on social justice in education, conducted by students in Gustavo Mora's class called Schools as Complex Spaces. Jackie and I would like to extend our heartfelt thanks to Gustavo, his students, and their guests, who are having crucial conversations about what it means to educate within contexts like the climate crisis, racism, addictions, and more. Thank you, and enjoy the show. Welcome to our Food for Thought podcast. I'm Nicole, along with my colleague Tanner. It's a great privilege to welcome Christina Wall to the show today to share some insight on the social justice issue of hunger and food insecurity through her involvement with the Winkler Food Cupboard. Thank you for having me. Okay, Christina, did you want to maybe start off by telling us about the program as a whole? Sure. Um, So the Winkler and District Food Cupboard has been around for about 30 years. Um, I believe it started in either someone's basement or garage and has grown a lot over the 30 years as this community has grown and the surrounding area. Um, So Winkler itself has about, I want to say, 14,000 people in the city. um, But their surrounding area is quite a bit bigger. So we have a large area that we serve. In the 30 years that the food cupboard has been around, they've moved twice. And we're actually just in the process of moving to a new location in May, which is gives us larger space and also gives us a bigger warehouse space, which is going to be really nice to be able to um, purchase more bulk items and be a little bit more organized in terms of what we can offer and how we set up. Right now, we're open to the public once a week. So Wednesday mornings, Wednesday's food cupboard day. Uh, We're open from 9 till 11, and then from 3 till 5. Right now, um, we're open by appointment. So people sign up for one within a one-hour time slot. Um, That started with COVID, just so that we could space out how many people were in the building and not have long lineups. We recently added, probably within the last year, added the 3 to 5 o'clock time slot kind of in an effort to reach maybe the working population that would normally want to come access the food cupboard, but because they're working during the day, they can't. So we hoped by adding that time slot kind of at the end of the day that you could catch people at the end of their shifts that still wanted to be able to come and access the food cupboard. Um, Basically, we're open to anyone who is in need of food. You don't need a referral. You can just come in and... um, For some people, the need is temporary, and for some people, the need is ongoing. But our goal is just to be able to provide food for anybody in the community that is needing it. Um, People can come in and access the food cupboard every other week. So generally, twice a month, you can come in and uh, access a hamper. We have about 30 items that are standard that we try to offer that would be soup, cereal, sugar, flour, uh, a lot of other canned goods like canned vegetables, 
uh, pasta, milk, eggs, meat, rice, beans. I'm trying to think of what else we offer, but we try to have our standard items so people kind of know what to expect when they come. Christina, you mentioned about uh, surrounding areas in Winkler. So is it the arm of Stanley as well that are welcome to come to the food cupboard or is the uh, city of Morden invited? You know, it is mostly arm of Stanley. So Altona has a food cupboard and Morden um, through many hands resource center has recently opened a food cupboard. So they would serve kind of Morden and I guess more West, whereas we would be mostly the arm of Stanley. Okay. Um, so who are the uh, community members that um, utilize the food bank? Um, every week, I get it, it varies week to week. We generally give out between 60 and 100 hampers a week. Um, I was looking back at our stats for 2021, and we had 465 active clients during the year. 35% of those people were part of a family. 41% of people coming were single, and 24% are um, single with dependents. Christina, are there any options for people with food sensitivities? Yeah, we just talked about that at our last board meeting. More recently, we've had people coming in regularly that have someone in the family who's celiac. And so we are, have a dairy allergy. So we were talking about... I guess usually in the past, what's happened is we wouldn't purchase items like that, but sometimes you get stuff donated that comes in, right? But we were talking about having starting to actually purchase gluten-free items so that when we have someone come in that we have a section where there is pasta and cereal and, and different things that are available for people with food allergies. And are there any difficulties that the community members face when they want to book an appointment? Is that an issue at all? Not that I know of, not that I have heard. So far, I would say probably, well, probably the biggest difficulty we've had would be maybe transportation. Um, so we have, and we have started, we do some deliveries if people can't make it in. Um, but we do also try to be flexible. So if somebody can't make it in during a certain time slot, we can get their list of what they need, put a hamper together for them, and then they can come in after hours and pick it up as well. So we're trying to try to be flexible in that way so that anybody who needs to access a hamper is able to. And what do you feel some of the challenges that you're currently facing are? I would say there are some ongoing challenges just related to the nature of, of working in this type of organization. So First thing would be looking at how do we decrease the stigma that is attached to needing to come to the food cupboard. Um, I would say we've worked hard to create a welcoming environment for people coming in. And one of the things we talked about, we have an, we have an interesting setup in that um, the food cupboard is its own organization, but we are attached to a larger organization, a community, Central Station Community Center, which is it shares the building with us. And so we have a really neat partnership in that people come in, they check in with Central Station, um, go through their grocery list of what they need. And then while they're waiting to come to the food cupboard side, they can access, there's volunteers that make a breakfast, or if it's in the afternoon, that 
make a put together a healthy snack for people to enjoy while they're waiting. It also gives the community center a chance to get to know people who are coming in and maybe talk about some of the other services that are available in the community. So they can talk about Monday nights, there's a free community meal, or there's maybe financial planning classes that they can access or help with the taxes. Other, you know, if, if somebody need, has emergency needs in terms of housing or clothing or anything else that there's other resources they can access. So we have a bit of an interesting partnership with the community center that we can work together and try to try to look at the bigger picture. Food is one need that somebody has when they come in, but what else can we offer as well? So why do you think that these challenges happen? Why do you think there is a stigma when it comes to food cupboards? I think people want to be self-sufficient and want to be able to provide for their family and and don't want to have to rely on other people or other organizations and so I think it can be difficult to maybe take that step and and reach out for help I think that's it's human nature to want to be independent and be able to do everything on our own and we hope that by creating this welcoming environment where you know, we have regular volunteers that get to know people who are coming in so that our clients aren't just clients and they're not just a number coming in, but you you recognize faces and you even recognize, you know, when somebody comes in, it's like, oh, I remember this is the cereal you like, or oh, you like spicy food and this year, this week we have jalapenos or salsa or whatever, right? So you try to get to know someone and just taking those little steps to make it a more welcome environment, hopefully hopefully helps to decrease some of that stigma and coming in. That's the goal. That's great. Thank you. So the next question I have is um, how has COVID-19 impacted your service at the food cupboard? You know, the main thing would be for us trying to keep up with the restrictions, especially at the beginning when things were changing a lot. You know, we have that setup where people can come in and they can have breakfast and and that face-to-face contact is really important. So when everything shut down, we had to go to deliveries. And so then you have people calling in their requests and you have volunteers that are delivering and you lose that connection. Um, it becomes it becomes more of a box being delivered and and not a service that you're necessarily being able to provide by by making the in-person connection with people. Um, so that was probably the biggest challenges. And, and over the two years, it went back and forth between, we switched quite a bit between in-person and delivery, which was fairly challenging um, for our volunteers and just trying to, trying to keep on top of all of the, the health orders. That was probably the biggest challenge. More recently, I would say um, we've had some issues with supply and so certain foods not being available. I, I was talking to the volunteer that looks after purchasing for us and he was saying that cereal right now is hard to come by. And so you or, you or I might go to the grocery store and there's cereal on the shelf and we can find some. But when you need 100 boxes a week, then it becomes a supply issue. So COVID has definitely affected that. Do you feel that some people might have used the food bank during COVID-19 that may not have otherwise because they um, could call and have it delivered instead of being able to be seen at the food cupboard? 
Yeah, probably actually. Yeah, that probably did did uh, make a difference and kind of decrease some of the barriers for people being able to come in. Um, we were very surprised during COVID our numbers didn't go up a lot. We were really expecting that it would just with layoffs and people being at home and everything else, we were expecting our numbers to go up, which they didn't. So I'm not sure if that was a result of CERB or some of the other financial assistance programs that were available, but but that was one thing that surprised us. It'll be interesting, interesting to see now with, you know, in the last while grocery prices going up and gas prices and everything else cost of living is just higher. So over the next few months, it will be interesting to see now if our numbers do go up or not. Um, And how has the community addressed the new challenges that arose because of the pandemic? Um, I would say our community is incredibly generous. And so we have a lot of very long-term volunteers that have been with the food cupboard. They were, our volunteers were very gracious in adapting to all of the changes. It felt sometimes like week to week, everybody was being given different instructions on what we were doing and how we were doing it. And so um, we have no shortage. I think we actually have a waiting list of people wanting to volunteer, but we don't have enough work for them. So it's a good problem to have. Um, And our community is also very generous in terms of donations. So we we haven't, we've been able to meet and usually raise more than what we spend um, just based on regular donations and not really having to do a lot of fundraising through the year. So I would say our community has really helped us in that way. You mentioned someone in charge of purchasing. What types of items usually need to purchase? You know, the, the, that list, like our 30 items, the cereal, the canned goods, um, flour, sugar, all of those standard items that we have, we purchase every week. So usually it's, a, I would say, between eleven dollars and $12,000 that we spend every month on groceries. So we have a volunteer that looks after purchasing all of that for us. We do, we do have a lot of donations coming in um, from different businesses and stores, but um, we do have to purchase a lot of those standard items that we want to be able to offer, make sure that we can offer every week. Going back to the roles of volunteers, what is the role of volunteers in developing relationships with those who go there? Um, you know what, the main role is, is to create a welcoming environment so that even if somebody is unsure or they're nervous to come in, that once they see a volunteer and have someone who's going to take the time to talk to them a little bit, just find out how your week was, what's going on, maybe get to know you. Do you have children? What are you, where are you working? You know, that's, that's the main role of volunteers to just be that friendly face. Um, All of our volunteers have committed to being there at least once a month, which really helps because volunteers become recognized as well as people who are coming in are, are recognized. And so volunteer on a Wednesday they're working with clients coming in um other than that on Monday and Tuesday the volunteers are usually coming in and setting up and sorting groceries and when deliveries come in or donations come in sorting through all of the food and and organizing it so that we're ready for a Wednesday morning do you find that some clients may come in just to have a friendly face to visit with I think so and I think especially 
within the last two years where people have been more isolated than they would be otherwise. I think everybody's been craving that human contact a little bit more. And so, and so, yeah, I think some people do come in. It's, it's, it becomes a bit of a, a routine in a place where you're known. And if it's somebody who maybe isn't working and doesn't have a lot of social connections, this is a place where people know their name and know who they are. And, and it, it can be comforting to have that if, if you don't have a lot of other social outlets. What motivated you personally to work with the food company? I started volunteering with the food cupboard a couple of years ago. Previous to that, I was working as an EA in one of the high schools in town. And I had a student one day who I couldn't, I couldn't get to start working. He just was had his head down. He wouldn't get his binder. It wouldn't get his pan out. It wouldn't really do anything. And I kept trying to motivate and trying to convince him to. And and all of a sudden, he, he just looked at me and he said, Mrs. Wall, he goes, I am so tired. He goes, I have not had anything to eat all day. And this was mid-afternoon. And it just stuck with me and, and it bothered me because, of course, like these kids aren't going to learn if they're not eating. And, you know, whether whether it's a student or it's somebody at work, wherever you are, you can't function if your basic need of food isn't being met. And so that kind of stuck with me and bothered me and led me to think about what I could do. And I was very aware of the food cupboard because it's been around for so many years. And so that, that motivated me to get, get involved there and, and yeah, see what, yeah, see the work of the food cupboard, see how we could expand into maybe trying to help the school with some schools with some of their food programs and, and just ensure that there is, you know, we have a, a community that is very generous. And so how do we make sure that food is getting to those who need it? Thank you. It sounds like you have a beautiful heart. What is the role of educators in paying attention to those situations that might not be isolated? You know, I think it is, I think it is a matter of, as an educator, being able to step back and see the bigger picture. And I know that's difficult to do when you have a class of 20, 25, 30 kids, but you can have a kid who is not paying attention and not motivated and something as simple as making sure that that kid gets breakfast when they get to school or that they have a lunch could totally change the kid's behavior in class, right? Could totally change their, their ability to participate and learn. And so I think that would be the role of educators is just to, to, have the time and take the time, even though it's difficult to do, to look at the bigger picture and and try to understand where these kids are coming from and what other factors might be at play that's influencing how they can how they're behaving in a classroom. And what do you think that teachers can do in general? You mentioned making sure they have breakfast and is there um, can they contact the food cupboard directly or what do you? Yeah, I think that they could, they could contact the food cupboard directly. Um, I know in our situation, um, the schools have home liaison workers. So that would be, I actually found it after I had worked with this student that our school had, I think they had a locker full of like granola bars and kind of non-perishable foods like that, that they could have so that teachers would know, right? If there's a student that needs food, that there's things they could access. They had free vouchers for the cafeteria so that if there was a student that they knew 
consistently didn't have food that that student would be able to just access the cafeteria every day if they needed to. Right. So I think, I think most of the schools do a pretty good job of having some of those supports in place for students. Um, Just maybe making sure that all the teachers and school staff are aware of those so that the kids who need to access it can. And why do you think people should consider helping out with the food cupboard? Um, and how can they do so? I know you mentioned a waiting list, but are there other ways that they could maybe help out? Yeah, you know, um, donations are always welcome. And like I said, we have an amazing support base with donations and uh, regular donors. Um, so if you don't have time to volunteer, pick up a couple extra items when you go grocery shopping and most grocery stores have a bin where you can donate right at the grocery store. I know when my kids were little, um, I always left it up to them, right? Like I said, like you guys pick an item, something you would like, and then you shop and put it in the bin. And so it made it kind of a way to make them aware and, and made it a little bit more fun for them as well. Um, but that's an easy way to get involved, right? While you're grocery shopping, just pick up a couple things and either gro- drop it off at the grocery store or at the food cupboard. Um, I mean, we're just in this area, but every major city has some sort of food organization that you can volunteer with and and donate to. So it, it's, if you don't have the time to put into volunteer, it is very easy to to just make a donation when you can. So that's a great way to get your kids involved as well. Right, yeah. Does the school in Winkler ever donate to the food bank? We have different businesses that do. Um, we've been working a bit with both high schools to provide some of the breakfast food and like some of the granola bars and kind of non-perishable goods that they can offer to students. I think most times when the schools would have food donations come in, they have their school liaison workers that would be connected to families that could already need it, that they wouldn't have to filter that through us. But that is one of the things we've talked about too, is how many families are out there that could benefit from the food cupboard, but aren't accessing it. And how do you, how do you reach out or how do you, how do you reach those families and make them aware of what's available and and that it's available to anybody who wants to access. So that is one of the things that we've been working on as well. Most of the time it's people who are, are aware that are coming to us. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't, I think most people, yeah, I don't know, I guess word of mouth maybe find out that we exist or, or that the food cupboard is available to them, but I wouldn't say we have, have really reached out ourselves. Do you have any questions to ask of us? Have you guys, like, I was curious, have you, have you done a podcast with the Brandon Food Cupboard or do you know a lot about the programs that they offer or if they're involved in schools? We haven't done a podcast with anyone actually, and we haven't actually interviewed anyone from Brandon. Okay. I know I just, um, I knew who to reach out to locally. So it was a quick, quick email and text, but okay. definitely be of interest to me. Yeah, I was curious if their program was similar or how, and we've, we've talked about, like as a board, we've talked about going to visit some of the other food cupboards and just get ideas of how they're running their program and how they're set up. 
Um, but again, with COVID, you don't make all of those visits that you would normally otherwise. So I was curious how, how their programs compare. Yeah, I also have um, volunteered in Winnipeg at the... Moment. Winnipeg Harvest? No, um, it's it was through our church and um, it was uh, like a soup kitchen type. It, oh, okay. Uh, our church got sandwiches and and cookies and rice crispy squares together and we volunteered and handed them out there. Okay. And, yeah, and I also got these blessing bags together for a while and we knitted washcloths and got socks in there and toiletries and we handed those out at, at, as well. Okay. So how about for you guys, like you're both university students, obviously. Is there a need that you see, like a lot of university students are on a budget, right? And groceries are getting more expensive. Like, is there a need that you see there? Is there a stigma attached to university students needing, let's say to reach out and have extra help with food or is that not something that you've encountered? I know personally, uh, having a family in Winkler and me renting an apartment in Brandon, it definitely has crossed my mind. And I've seen the emails come out that um, there is the food cupboard linked with um, Brandon University. And so we have okay. that. We have like there's an offer there that we can come and get stuff. But I've always just felt like there's people that need it more than I do. Right. And so but that's I know exactly it, how I feel. Yeah, it is tough yeah. though. Because, yeah, to buy groceries to have at home and then groceries to have in Brandon. And and then, so I've definitely thought about it, but I'm like, yeah. oh, maybe that's not for me. Right. So that would be the question. Instead of you guys asking me, I should ask you, how do we get rid of that stigma? How do we, how do we turn this type of service into something that people feel comfortable accessing if they need to? I don't know how we change that. I don't know if it's a a personal pride issue or if it's maybe needs to be like marketed differently to be targeted. Like doesn't matter if you have a job, you don't have a job. If you need something, then come and get it, you know? Right. But Tanner, what do you think? Well, for me, I think it's more of like a guilt thing. Like a, like I grew up fairly lucky. Like I, there was always food in front of me. So now that I'm living on my own, paying my own bills, like I almost feel bad if I needed something because I feel like other people need it way more than I do. Right. Yeah. Like, and because I grew up like so lucky, it's like I could just ask my parents for like, hey, can I have a hundred bucks for some extra groceries and things like that? But I know a lot of people don't have right. that option. So I feel like I, I run towards that option. Right. And a lot of people don't want to, right? Or feel bad even asking their parents maybe or, yeah. Well, and it's interesting. We were talking a bit. There's there's a few different philosophies and different ways that food cupboards, I guess, across, well, Canada probably, green who comes in, right? And so in the past, I would say, We've asked for more information in terms of like how many people in your family, where are you working? Is this a temporary, right? Like have an interview process or an uh, intake process, I guess you would say. Um, more recently, we've talked about changing to just 
a name, how many people in your family. We like to know how many adults and how many kids so we can tailor what we're offering to that. But then those are the only questions that are asked, right? So try to get rid of a little bit maybe of that feeling of, oh, I don't need to access this or somebody else needs it more and create an environment where it's like, okay, if if you need food, just come. No questions asked. There's food available. And hopefully that will help make people more comfortable coming in. I don't know. You know, I would say for both if for both of you guys too, right? And and for anybody else that if it's a need, um, it's amazing now. Like I've noticed too, the last couple of times I've gone grocery shopping, I'm shocked at how much prices have gone up and and stuff. So it's just gonna become more of a need. And I think everybody's kind of in the same boat with with some of that. But that is the ongoing challenge is how you know you, you have an organization that Ideally, you want it to be a temporary relationship that you have with people because you do, you want to be there when, when somebody needs to access the food cupboard, but you know that people want to move on and be able to be self-sufficient. And so you want to, how do you, how do you create that welcoming environment, but also encourage people to be able to only access it temporarily and then, and then move on? I don't know. It's kind of a... I don't know. It's the nature of being a, a organi- organization that is kind of a temporary help, right? You'll have I to. Just, I don't think it made any sense what I'm saying, but. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we just wanted to thank you so much for coming in today. Uh, thank you for everything you do with the food bank or food cupboard. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us? Um, I was just going to say if anybody's interested or has any questions, um, our email address is winklerfoodcupboard at gmail.com. And we're also on Instagram. So if you look up winklerfc on Instagram, you'll find Winkler Food Cupboard. Well, everyone, that's Christina Wall with the Winkler Food Cupboard. You've been listening to Leaning In and Speaking Out, a Research Connection podcast from Brandon University. For more episodes or to learn more about the BU Cares Research Centre, please visit our website at bucares.ca or you can come find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube or anywhere you get your podcasts.